Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. In an all-new episode of the All In for Citrus podcast, as we move through these summer months and get into the hot time of the year, we've got some timely things coming up, including research into heat stress, both for plants and for people. And we also have several events coming up, the biggest being Citrus Expo. And that's where we're going to start today's podcast with Dr. Michael Rogers. Dr. Rogers, uh, Expo is moving right along. I know we talked about some of the updates in the last episode, but we're going to talk today about the seminar. We've got that lined out. Um, Looking pretty good on the seminar? Yes, I think we have got everything ready to go. Um, All of our speakers have been working on their presentations. And, uh, you know, before we know it, Expo is going to be right around the corner. It's going to be here on us. And, uh, uh, we're looking forward to another great seminar series this year um, at the Citrus Expo in Fort Myers. So it's going to be one full day of Citrus seminars, is that correct? Yes. Uh, on the first day of, of Expo, uh, we'll, our Citrus seminars will start, our educational session will start at 9 a.m. And we'll end um, about 4.45 that day. Uh, there is obviously a break for lunch in there in between, but it's it's a full day of, of seminars with important timely topics for growers and also those growers, folks who need to get those CEUs or CCAs, those will also be available as well. Very good. That's Wednesday, August 18th. The Citrus Expo is the 18th and 19th. That first day, August 18th, that is the Citrus Seminars. Uh, let's talk about some of the seminars on the lineup, but you guys always do a great job with the education that's available at Citrus Expo. Um, we'll kind of break these down into three categories. Uh, the first being pathology. What are we looking on the pathology side? Well, actually, you know, we're going to start off, uh, believe it or not, not talking about HLB, but some of the other pathology issues that are still a problem. Uh, you know, growers, we, we've always been focused on on HLB for the past, you know, longer than we want to admit, but um, there are other problems out there. And so we've got topics that will be covered this year, including um, important and timely updates on Citrus Black Spot by Dr. Megan Dudney. Um, we've got uh, work on Phytophthora, uh, Dr. Johnson. Who everybody knows we'll be talking about uh, two different species of phytophthora that are that are out there and and people don't always realize that the, those two species of phytophthora that affect citrus trees aren't the same and they need different levels of, of management intensity so he's going to really break that down for growers and explain the differences biologically between those two species of phytophthora you know what the differences are how to identify that and and what you should be doing to manage those based on which species of phytophthora that you've got in your grove um, we've also got a little bit of work, um, uh, some updates, uh, again, continued work on um, the different application methods for, for antibiotics or antimicrobial products. Just updates so growers know, you know, the latest on what, you know, maybe, not, maybe they can't do some of these applications right now, but what they definitely shouldn't be doing that's not working, uh, especially when we talk about, you know, foliar applications of antibiotics and, and the results that we're seeing there, you know, how effective those are. Um, and then also some work uh, by one of our pathologists, Dr. Meet Levy. Um, a lot of growers uh, look at um, CT value as a in the plant when they run PCR on plants to see, you know, what's the CT value for H- the HLB bacterium. You know, they, they use that as a measure of, of plant health. But uh, Dr. Levy's done some work to show that, you know, that's really not a good good measure of plant health. And and believe it or not, just, just having a, a healthy canopy makes a huge difference. So he's going to talk about the research that's been done there and what growers should be looking at when you're evaluating your grove, how well it's doing, or maybe you've got some 
different rootstock sign combinations out in the grove, and you want to make some some determinations on which are doing better, which seem to be holding up better. So some of that information he's going to present will be be of use to growers um, as they evaluate their own plantings um, uh, moving forward in the field. And so that, that's that's kind of just some of the highlights of some of the, the plant pathology uh, topics that will be covered, in addition to things related to HLB um, uh, that include things like uh, how you keep the trees healthy uh, in terms of soil microbes and things like in soil health, root health. So just, again, just some of the main things we'll be focusing on with, with uh, the plant pathology, both HLB and other pathogens. Yeah, a lot to cover there. There are a lot of other diseases, and you're right. Sometimes that gets buried by the elephant in the room, which is HLB. Um, let's go to the pests. On the entomology side of things, um, also, again, uh, several different topics on this. What are some of the highlights there? Yeah, and actually, well, the one I want to mention, again, starting off not talking about psyllids, which everybody thinks when we're talking about HLB, but but also uh, talk a little bit about nematodes and weevils, uh, some of the things that we've we've had to deal with for a lot longer than psyllids and HLB. Uh, Dr. Larry Duncan will be talking about the use of physical barriers um, uh, for both nematode and uh, weevil management programs. So at least everybody gets a little break from psyllids for a little bit. But then, of course, we turn our attention to psyllids. Uh, Dr. Stolinski will give a, an update on some of the latest information he has on thresholds um, for psyllids. Uh, you know, everybody wants to save money, uh, and but, but do a good job managing psyllids, what's needed. And so he's going he's gonna to talk about the latest uh, research information they have on, on uh, spray management decisions for psyllids. Um, Lauren Diepenbrock will be giving us a general overview of a number of, of different pest issues um, in citrus right now, not just psyllid, but also things that will include things like um, the Lebic mealybug, which some folks are dealing with, and, and some other pests that are out there, mites and other issues as well. And so uh, those are those are some of the main uh, you know insect related pest topics that'll be covered at Expo this year. Very good. And then you guys also have several uh, horticulturally focused ones, um, and then an economics one too, right? Right, yeah. And so you know starting off with the horticulture and, and uh, you know plant health in general, uh, we continue this continues to be one of the big focuses for us um, in terms of you know what growers can do now um, to keep keep those groves productive. Uh, we, we continue to do research for the long term, you know, to develop those those long term solutions for growers. We're not going to be talking about those that type of research at this expo this time. Uh, we're really focusing on things that can do now. So we're going to get here updates on um, nutrient management, uh, you know, the nutrition programs for citrus. Uh, BMPs have been a big issue for growers. They've gotten a lot of attention lately. So Davey, Dr. Davy Caddy-Ampakini. Uh, he'll be talking a little bit about, you know, uh, irrigation programs, nutrient management, and, and how all that plays in with BMPs um, for our HLB-affected groves. And you're going to be hearing a lot more uh, down the road about work on BMPs, trying to refine recommendations for HLB-affected trees. And this is a continually developing thing, but, um, it, but it's important for growers because we've seen time and again, you know, you can, you can rehabilitate groves, you can improve the health of the groves, improve fruit yield, improve fruit quality, um, maybe not where we were 20 years ago, but definitely a big improvement from what it, what it would be if we didn't manage our nutrients right. So uh, that's an important one. Uh, Dr. Vashisht, um, everybody knows, has been working on fruit drop and fruit quality. She'll be uh, presenting some of her work on uh, strategies growers can use now to reduce fruit drop in the groves and, and improve fruit quality. And uh, then also uh, Dr. Fernando Alvarez. We'll be talking a little bit about um, uh, not only, again, kind of fruit, fruit drop, 
but also some of the hormonal um, impacts, the plant hormones, how they affect fruit drop, and you know what what approaches can be used to help improve fruit drop as well. Um, very similar to some of the things that the trip Dr. Vashisht is doing, but again, some slightly different angle and some very interesting and useful information coming out of his program. Um, we've also got some work uh, on some rootstock trials that Dr. Uda Albrecht has been working on. She'll be presenting some of that information. And, and then lastly, uh, from our horticulturalist, uh, Dr. Fred Gumitter will talk about some of the uh, new improved scion on rootstock cultivars from the U UF uh, IPAS breeding team that's coming forward. You know, what you can look forward to in the coming year and, and as we continue to put out uh, every year new, new varieties uh, that are more and more tolerant to HLB. So he'll be talking about the latest on that. And, and lastly, as, as you mentioned, um, there, there is a, a economics uh, talk uh, going back to the rootstocks. Dr. Ariel Singerman uh, has done an economic analysis of some of the rootstock trials that have been going on in the state. And so he's going to provide um, an update on what he's found as far as uh, economic analysis on which rootstocks uh, look good and which ones maybe not so good in some of the trials that have taken place thus far. Um, so that's that's just kind of a, a 30,000 foot view of, of, of the topics that are going to be covered. And again, um, a lot more detail, a lot more information for growers. We hope everybody will show up for these these seminars and um, again, uh, you know, interact with our, our speakers both during the seminars and during the trade show uh, around the booths. Again, we're here to try to work with growers, provide information. Uh, that's useful to growers now and um, at the Citrus Expo in Fort Myers. Yeah, and we'll welcome in uh, Jamie Burrow, Extension Program Manager, who's going to talk about the trade show side of the event as you covered the seminar side. But I know she's really excited about the fact that you guys are going to have the new citrus production guide, the updated citrus production guide available at the show. Yes, that's that's always uh, one of the things that people uh, stop by the booth for at Expo is to get the latest uh, citrus production guide. And so that will be available um, for everybody to pick up this year at Expo in Fort Myers. Uh, we didn't get to meet last year in person, so we had a bunch of them left over. And so we really hope that, you know, if for those of you who haven't had a new guide in a couple of years, come by and get two or three. <laughs> take them off our hands. We don't want to take them back. So uh, please do come by our booth. We will have um, a number of, of publications uh, uh, for folks to pick up, some new things that, that you have not seen before. And so uh, you'll be hearing more about that. But we, we look forward to uh, getting to welcome everybody back and see everybody at the booth and come, come update your publications. Very good. Again, that was the um, highlights of the seminar that's going on the citrus side of things for the Citrus Expo in Fort Myers, Florida, going on Wednesday, August 18th. You can find out more and see the entire list of the agenda at citrusexpo.net. Dr. Michael Rogers, thanks as always, and we'll see you in August. All right. Thank you, Taylor. Before we get to more on the Citrus Expo and some of the details, including the UF IFAS trade show, look at how it's going to be a little different this year. We're going to talk about some issues, um, very timely issues, one of which, first of all, is a pest issue that we're starting to see. And we're going to welcome in Dr. Lauren Diepenbrock. Uh, Lauren, first and foremost, thanks for joining me. Oh, anytime. So we're talking today because we've touched base in the past on um the cups system and how we might see some developing issues with that uh, cups for anyone who doesn't know is citrus under protective screening. Um, we've kind of identified a couple issues here. One of them being something that favors the situation, right? Yes. Um, we've been having some issues with chili thrips, which is a very, very small thrip species. 
and it causes some damage to both the foliage and to the fruit crops. So what kind of damage are we looking at here? Is this uh, something that growers started seeing and uh, you guys looked into? What, I mean, how bad can this be? In, in the Cups houses, we actually have seen fruit loss from it and the guys that are dealing with this pest. This was actually a grower identified issue. Um, last year, I was contacted by some growers that were seeing some really odd fruit damage. They weren't sure what was going on. At first, I wasn't sure either. And with the help of some really awesome scouts, we started finding these chili thrips, which I had never seen in person before. They're about half the size of our typical flower thrips, so they're very hard to see on the plants. Um, they favor the fresh foliage and the developing fruit, so that's where you're going to have your issues with growth on the plant. They like the growth terminals, um, and then they like your developing fruit, so they cause uh, bronzing and silvering on the citrus fruit that's developing and makes it an unmarketable product. Now, why aren't we seeing this in regular production? Is there, do they favor the whole cup system or the screening in? Is that environment uh, favorable to them? It seems to be. Uh, there's a lot about the biology that doesn't quite click just yet. So we're actually right now trying to figure out a little bit more about the seasonal biology, these pests in this system. We don't really see a problem in the open field and that could be a number of factors. It could be that there are things that eat them outside of the cup system. You know, cups is enclosed, so if you want a predator, you better put it in there. Um, it could be that the management practices that we're doing outside in our, our groves, whether it be a combination of ground management and foliar management, that could be actually controlling the strips. Um, it is a foliar feeder, it is a fruit feeder, but we also don't quite understand the biology in this system. Um, in other systems, other production systems, this thrips pupates in the soil, and in some it pupates on the plant. So we don't know if maybe even the herbicide management on the ground might be helping reduce some of the survival if they're out in the field as well. Yeah, it's very interesting. I guess the dumb question is, how does it get in there? Is it small enough that it can get through the screening? It is ridiculously small. Um, a regular flower thrips can get through the screening if it really wants to. It's a little more effort, I think. Um, but these are about three millimeters in length and they're very, very slim. So they could shoot right through that 40 mesh and and go to town. Hey, you mentioned something about uh, we're seeing some of the damage in nurseries too on younger trees, right? Yeah, we are. We've got a couple of nurseries that have been seeing some issues with it. And it's kind of hard to manage with chemistries alone. So we've got some growers that are very nice and working with us to look at biological controls and see if we can work those into the system um, to help keep the pressure down. Are there any biological controls identified yet? I mean, I, I would guess that that would make sense if we're not seeing it in traditional uh, management practices. There could be something out there that is, uh, you know, being a parasite or something to this. So are there ones identified already or do we still need to find out those? Well, we do have actually a really good mite predator um, the work was actually done in tomatoes and peppers and eggplants because this thrips has been an issue for a while in greenhouse production systems, just not in ours. Uh, and they found that Amblyseus swirskii, which we just call swirskii because it's easier, uh, actually does a pretty good job of managing this pest in those systems. Um, there is a big difference, though, because if you think about greenhouse production of, of peppers and eggplants and tomatoes, those plants often aren't quite as tall as what we have in our greenhouse production of citrus plants. Just to give a reference, you know, I'm, I'm five foot seven and those plants are taller than me. So if your pest is at the growth terminal, which is going to be above my head if I was standing on a bench and I'm putting my predators out where my arms can reach because I'm not going to stand on that bench, 
they're probably not going to get to that pest. So we want to see if we can alter that habitat a little bit and help the predators get to the pest um, and see if we can actually enhance the management in those systems. When you say alter that, uh, you mean make shorter? Yes, we are hoping to do a little work with some plant growth regulators that are used in other countries to um, actually keep the citrus trees a little bit shorter in their nurseries. So there's some precedent of doing this, um, perhaps not for the same reason we want to do it, but there is precedent of doing this to get the trees a little bit shorter in nurseries. Now, one of the reasons cups is being used is uh, for fresh market, right? So are we seeing some issues there with this pest as well? We do. In the houses that were impacted last year, they did lose some fruit. Well, they, the fruit still produced and most likely tasted fine, but they don't, they're not aesthetically pleasing. And so, you know, if you go to the grocery store and you see a beautiful grapefruit, no blemishes on it, and then you see one next to it that's got some silvering on it, you're going to pick the beautiful grapefruit. So, you know, we Cups is an expensive system to have and it's an expensive system to run. So growers really can't afford to lose those fruit. And since this is an emerging pest and you guys are still trying to figure out some habits of it, um, where are we at with the funding for research? Is this uh, something you guys need to get a lot more first before you can write up a proposal or are you guys moving on this now? Uh, we're moving on it now. We were able to receive some internal research funds to get started on the work. There's um, baseline data that has to be collected before we can really develop a good management program. And so we're very fortunate in Citrus that we do have some internal funding that is available to researchers for startup for these types of projects. And, you know, the goal then is that we, we take that money and we leverage it into a federally funded grant program that will then um, further fund the work. Very good. Um, I'm sure that this is going to be something that's going to be watched, especially for the CUPS production um, uh, groups out there. Again, Assistant Professor of Entomology, Dr. Lauren Diepenbrock. You have several posters coming up, I hear, at the <laughs> Citrus Expo. Is that correct? Yes, I do. Uh, we have a very extension-focused booth this year. I'm very excited. I really hope the growers like the work that we're doing. Um, it's been a kind of an overhaul of what we've done in the past for our booth. It'll be very educational very user-friendly, very focused on giving you things you can take back and use tomorrow. Very good. That's exciting. We'll talk more with um, Jamie Burrow later about what that is going to look like this year. Again, Dr. Lauren Diepenbrock, thank you for your time. You are very welcome. Before we get to more on the Citrus Expo, the other thing that you can expect every summer is the heat. We now welcome in Dr. Amir Rezazada, who's detailing heat stress both in trees and in humans. Amir, let's go ahead and start with the trees first here. Heat stress, big issue. It can be a serious problem for trees. Because citrus is a subtropical crop and uh, uh, it's a little bit susceptible to freezing and also drought. So especially in this time of the year, uh, the, the temperature is very high and uh, we had a lack of rain uh, in a couple of weeks. And so this environment, uh, although citrus like it but also we are uh, we have also drought and it's a kind of heat stress and uh, high temperature along with uh, low water all of them uh, together affect uh, citrus growth so it can affect tree growth uh, like a vegetative growth flowering fruit set uh, fruit quality and everything and so we can do many things to prevent it and we can do many things if the citrus is exposed to heat stress. 
Yeah, that's a good point to make. It's not only the heat on the plant. It's also the fact that it can get incredibly dehydrated. Yes, correct. Yeah, usually the heat stress is uh, coming with uh, the drought or lack of water. Let's let's talk about signs of heat stress on trees. I, I think most growers know their trees and know what they look like, but I think sometimes you can get a little complacent and not understand it totally that it's happening. So let's talk about the signs of heat stress on trees. Uh, well, in general, there are early signs of heat stress on uh, uh, trees or fruit trees that help growers to uh, lessen the heat damage. They're including uh, leaves turn yellow. Uh, if, you, if the growers uh, see the fruit tree leaves curling and curling inside and also the green leaves start falling of the trees or they turn to yellow color and uh, also if uh, for example for citrus trees uh, we have fruit on this on the trees so if the fruit drop occurs all of them are the sign of a heat stress or drought together but the major signs of heat stress is leaves you can see on the leaves leaves turning yellow and also curling to the inside so pay attention to those leaves and we'll talk about what to do if we do see significant stress out there but first of all how, how can we avoid getting there at all what can we do to protect the trees from heat stress well one of the strategies that uh, help uh, trees to tolerate midday high temperature is to water trees early in the morning to reduce evaporation loss you know, the major uh, high temperature during the day is in the, uh, probably in the 12 or noon. So it's better to start irrigation in the morning. For example, in summertime, uh, newly planted trees uh, should be watered more frequently than the old trees because uh, they haven't developed the root system. So uh, you need to water the trees, uh, young trees more than the mature trees. Uh, and also the citrus trees planted in sandy soil, like Florida soil, uh, needs more water compared to those planted in the, the heavy soil. It's been some um, use of mulch, and I know that uh, more and more growers are looking this for looking at this for a couple different reasons. Uh, but mulch can help here too, right? Can retain some of that so it doesn't uh, evapotranspirate. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, uh, obviously in this uh, hot weather, using mulch around the uh, you know, base of the trees helps to uh, retain soil moisture. Uh, and uh, this is especially important for young trees whose uh, uh, root system is established around the soil surface. So using mulch uh, can help to, uh, you know, keep water on this uh, soil surface. And uh, keep in mind that mulch should be a spread in a uh, two to three foot diameter around the tree, especially the is especially if the tree is young. And also it's important to leave uh, a space between the tree's trunk and the mulch to prevent uh, some uh, fungal disease. That's a good point. It's also, uh, you mentioned in this article that I'm reading that um, it makes sense that a healthy tree can handle anything better, but especially here, you could get some nutrient deficiency here, right? That will, will you know, kind of um, make this worse. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you are right. Uh, yeah, if you see, uh, if the growers see the nutrition deficiency on the trees, uh, obviously these kind of trees are more susceptible to heat stress and the drought stress. 
And we usually recommend to uh, have a consistent fertilization plan for uh, trees during the whole year, especially in the summertime, and also uh, frequent watering for these kind of trees. So what if trees are stressed? They have reached that point. Um, you know, it, it happens. Um, they can become this way. They've, they've become heat stressed. They are not doing well, and we need to take care of them. What, what do growers need to do immediately? I'm assuming it involves irrigation. Uh, yeah, yeah. In this case, this in this case, uh, start irrigation as soon as possible. First of all, uh, I usually recommend that uh, citrus grower or fruit growers, if uh, if they are uh, working in a large scale, it means that if they they are commercial growers, use moisture sensors. So, you know, we are human and we have uh, some kind of error. Uh, but this kind of moisture sensor can, uh, you know, detect uh, drought and also uh, another uh, thermometer. You can just connect them to the system, uh, to the hop system. All of them can collect the data and, uh, you know, start irrigation uh, as soon as the drought and heat stress starts. So uh, as we discussed before, make sure to water young trees consistently if there are uh, exposed to the heat stress, heat or high temperature, and also uh, it's very important to know that some uh, effects of heat stress may last longer, uh, but some of them may uh, appear sooner or later. But it's highly recommended to provide, you know, uh, more water for young trees and uh, also the trees that uh, have some uh, deficiency. You can use those monitors to to help you ward off getting to that point of no return, right? Right. Well, very good. The, the trees aren't the only thing we're worried about here. Um, labor is an issue, and it's getting you know labor is getting more and more thin, um, and it's an issue, and it's starting to cost more. And so we don't want to lose labor when we do. Um, heat stress in in humans is a big deal. Um, there's a couple different phases, and they go as it gets worse. Uh, you've got heat stress, then you've got heat exhaustion, and then ultimately heat stroke. All of those can be very serious. Um, we'll kind of go through the steps here because you looked at this a little bit too, but preventing heat stress in humans. Um, you got some very simple tips here that I think all of our HR departments have talked about too. Um, very simple steps to ward off heat stress. Uh, well, uh, yeah, as you said, heat stress can show up as different symptoms. Uh, as you said, uh, we have uh, heat exhaustion, heat cramps, heat rash, and uh, eventually, uh, I hope it not happen, uh, heat stroke, that is the, the last step of the heat stress for, he, uh, for workers. Uh, you know, they, all of them have a different signs, but in general, uh, uh, you know, it happens when the worker is uh, under the high temperature and working in a hot environment. And first of all, we just uh, recommend the workers to have enough water when they are working and uh, if they you know predict that the temperature is very high just stop working and uh, usually we recommend to stop working during the midday if the temperature is very high and if uh, heat stress happens if it's just a heat rash or if it's just a heat exhaustion, probably the worker can move to the cooler environment and uh, maybe remove unnecessary clothing, including socks and shoes. But if uh, something uh, 
severe happens like a heat stroke and uh, in that condition the body cannot uh, you know control the temperature and um, so in that case the body temperature uh, rise rapidly to 106 fahrenheit or even higher in 10 to 15 minutes and uh, the sweating mechanism fails and uh, so in that case if it happens uh, the workers colleagues better to help the worker and uh, move the worker to the cooler area again uh, just remove the uh, unnecessary clothes and uh, the symptoms are severe just call on 911 immediately because uh, in that case the worker needs uh, you know the emergency medical care yeah and let's talk about the difference because the next step is a little bit more extreme than that but signs and symptoms of heat exhaustion as you mentioned you've got rash uh, heavy sweating, headache, weakness, uh, decreased urine output, dizziness, elevated body temperature. But those can all take a step further for heat stroke. And one of the ones in that is dry skin, right? When you stop sweating. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, when the temperature is going up and up and workers work under that situation, you know, the, the body temperature again uh, can rise higher. And, uh, and in that situation, the sweating mechanism failed, the, the skin can dry. And uh, so uh, consequently, the body is unable to cool down. Unfortunately, heat stroke can result in coma or death in severe cases. So that's why uh, if the colleagues see uh, the workers uh, have these kind of symptoms like a seizure, or uh, you know, hot and dry skin. Just call 911 immediately. And before 911, uh, you know, get to that point, uh, it's better to move uh, that person inside in a cooler environment. Definitely, get information there to avoid some potential issues as we move through the hot months here. Again, UF IFAS's Amir Rezazada. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Uh, I just wanted to mention uh, uh, the last point that. Uh, uh, for workers and handler, we have training as a WPS worker ag or ag worker safety training. So uh, it's uh, most of the time it's necessary for worker. And during that training, we uh, train them for heat stress and what they need to do during heat uh, and high temperature t uh, environment. So it's better to be trained uh, and prevent these kind of symptoms. Um, and not just wait uh, this happens and to think about what uh, what they're going to do and we're going to conclude today's show with those changes to the uf ifis booth at the trade show of the citrus expo august 18th and 19th at the lee civic center in fort myers florida and joining me now is uf ifis uh, extension program manager jamie burrow jamie you're on the the last episode with us talking about uh, some of the programs you guys are working on, especially with Trip D on that uh, nutritional box program. But today we're talking about something kind of fun. We're looking at the booth that you guys are going to have for the trade show for Citrus Expo. Um, let's talk about, first of all, for those who haven't seen your guys' booth, you guys have a pretty big booth there on the trade show floor. What did it look like in previous years? Um, in the past, we have had our two large booths, and it has had many posters, so a lot of content that you could read and some giveaways and production guides and other educational materials you could pick up at the booth. 
And it was it was uh, took up both of the center aisles. There, it was a big booth. You're right, lots of information. You guys have so much um, research and and details to get out there. Lots of information on that. Now, this year, you guys are going to make a little bit of a change. What are you guys looking at? So this year, to make our booth a little more spacious, we are going to have our content presented in different formats. We are still going to have our printed posters, but we're also going to have some of our content in a digital format. So taking that content and making it into three-minute or less videos that you can watch while you're there at the booth. We're also going to be taking all of the information that are in the videos and that is on the posters, and we're going to be putting them into a booklet. And this is all information that growers can use now that's applicable to them now in their groves. And so they can take this package of all of this information that they get to see in the booth. They can also take it back with them. So the new booth is going to combine some of the information, digital, uh, physical copies. That is outstanding. I think you're starting to see more and more of that um, as you go along here with some of the digital aspects. You guys did two years ago had a um, really hands-on um, situation where we were able to take one of the extra buildings and do a hands-on research um, showing growers what you guys were doing. You're going to incorporate that a little bit this year, right? Yes, sir. We'll have a small section that our entomologist will have set some microscopes up and have some insects there to help with learning how to identify them. So we're going to have a little bit of a hands-on inside of the booth this year. So growers will be able to come by your booth, do a hands-on learning, and walk away with some materials. Correct. And not only will they be able to walk away with material that they can apply in their groves now, but they'll also be able to walk away with a separate booklet. And in that separate booklet, it is going to have a group of research summaries. So this is what's going on right now in the research. And so you can see what is coming down the pipeline in our research. And so we're also going to have that booklet that growers can take with them. Yeah, I think that's the exciting thing about your guys' booth is not only do you have some, you know, selected research that you guys are elevating, but you guys have all of your research out there. It's anything that pertains to citrus growing and some future stuff that is coming down the road. Not often do you get that. And that's, I think growers want to see that, right? Yes. You'll be able to get a taste of everything. Um, we're getting research summaries from all of our citrus researchers here at UF, um, from our different centers, from SWIFREC, IREC, the CREC. We're also getting some research summaries out of Gainesville. So it'll be very comprehensive. Jamie, some of that take-home stuff, uh, brand new, right? You guys have updated a couple of the guides. Yes, we are going to have the brand new production guides available at the booth at Expo. And those are often sought after. I know growers talk about that a lot. So go by the booth, be able to get this brand new information that you guys are debuting for this, right? Correct. Yes. Come by and visit us. We look forward to seeing everyone. It's been a while. So we're really looking forward to seeing everyone. Very good. Again, Jamie Burrow, Extension Program Manager for UF IFAS, talking about the new and improved booth that will be at the Citrus Expo, August 18th and 19th at the Lee Civic Center in Fort Myers, Florida. Jamie, we are excited to see you guys there, and thank you for the update. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.